Now you're very welcome along to the gardening programme. Porik, good morning to good you. Good morning, Deirdre. Uh, welcome along. You're happy to see the little bit of I dampness am. out I there today, I, I think. I thought I'd never say it, but uh, it's lovely to see that bit of rainfall. It was really, really badly wanted. And you can see it in the garden. The plants have kind of perked up and uh, the lawns are, are looking a little bit greener, I think. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> were very hungry, oh, I think, or they were very, they were very, very dry. 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 Very dry. I mean, uh, certainly in parts of the East Coast, they were, they were talking about a drought, and we have certainly had um, less than 50% or 60% of the na- normal rainfall we would normally get in April and May, so uh, things are quite dry. Uh, but having said that, it's great to see the rain. Um, and I looked at the long range forecast Tuesday, your dead right is going to rain again, which will be welcomed. And um, after that, Particularly most of the week is going to be actually lovely gardening weather. So it's uh, it, the rain has come at a very welcome time, I think, a very timely time. Um, and particularly for people that are thinking of sowing new lawns, because we had a couple of questions in last week where people had sowed the, the lawn seed mm-hmm. and it had sat there for three or two or three weeks because the weather was just so dry. So lawn seed needs this sort of weather. It needs this kind of cooler, damper, heavy dew at night time with some rainfall and it germinates really, really fast within 10 or 15 days. So listeners that would have sown and maybe re- reseeded some areas, repatched some areas of their lawns, in the next couple of days that seed that seed will actually germinate very, mm. very quickly. But it's also perfect weather for sowing new lawns. So for listeners that may be new homes or they want to put an area under grass, the weather conditions for this week will be very, very favourable because the soil is still very workable, um, but the uh, the seed will germinate uh, quite quickly. And uh, people get worried too about the... Um, the birds coming to pick the seed and I always say just sow a little bit of extra seed for the birds as well because <laughs> you'll naturally get the pigeons and yeah. some birds feeding on it but they're not going to do really no harm whatsoever. So if you are inclined to repair a patch in the garden uh, sow some seed. If you're repatching areas the easiest way to do it is to cut the lawn nice and tight um, then mix a bit of lawn seed green velvet lawn seed normally with some compost ordinary potting compost literally chuck it down in the damaged areas and brush it in with a stiff yard brush and it's as simple as that and it will germinate within kind of two weeks you know 10 to 14 15 days sort of thing Um, it'll germinate this time of year so really good time of year for sowing new lawns for listeners that are putting in new new grass make sure you get rid of any grass or weeds that might be there initially um so treat that with with um, a little bit of weed killer and then you're ready to till the soil and get in the seed and and you'll have a great lawn by august if you sow it today or in the next week, you'll mm. have a fantastic uh, lawn before we go into the autumn. For listeners that have sown lawns, um, again, a lot of questions in in terms of red shank weeds and different types of weeds, and they naturally germinate. You know, it's not just the grass seed that germinates, the weeds, of course, germinate as well, particularly with the moisture. But regular trimming of the lawn eliminates 95% of broadleaf weeds anyway. So it's only nature's way. Of course, the seed, lawn seed is going to germinate, but other weeds are going to always germinate. It's not that you bought the lawn seed and there was weed seeds in it. Faulty or anything like that. No, no, no. You'll always get a certain amount of weeds because you're tilling the soil, you're bringing the seeds up to the surface and it's uh, nature at its best. So regular trimming and you really want to trim the lawn as soon as it's trimmable. So when it's about inch, inch and a half height, get out the lawnmower uh, nice sharp blades and give it a trim and regular trimming then helps to thicken it out and you know it's no different to when you t- hear me talking about pruning plants back the more you trim your lawn the thicker it gets and the healthier it will be so that 
so I would encourage people to certainly get the lawns uh, in in the next week. Wildflowers and the sowing of seeds in general. So if you want to do a wildflower area, like a little bit of meadow grass yep. or something for the bees, then this is the time of year in June when we sow wildflower seed because it's happening in nature. The, the wildflower meadows are flowering at the moment. That of course, they're going to be producing their seed and that seed generally drops, drops during the summer period. So this is a perfect time of year for sowing wildflower seed. So if you have an area of the garden that you just want to give back to the bees and the butterflies and, and back to nature, then this is the time to get the seed in. You rake the soil, you chuck on the lawn seed it, or the wildflower seed. It germinates within a couple of weeks and some of the plants will flower this year particularly the annuals and the perennial plants will grow and then flower the following spring and and, and summer period Um, and there's a whole range of different varieties of wildflower seed if you've got a shaded area you can get a blend of seeds to suit that if you want wildflowers that stay low and compact there's a range that suit that as well that'll only grow a foot or 15 inches in height and if you want the traditional wildflower meadows with the poppies and the oxide daisies they're all available as well Um, if you have a piece of spare ground maybe you're not planting your vegetables this year and you want to just give it back to nature sow the phacelia seed that, that I recommend uh, each year this is the time of year you phacelia will come into flower in eight weeks so if we sow it now fast forward eight weeks we're into August it'll be a myriad of beautiful um, blue flowers covered with bees for August, September and October. And phacelia is a seed that is not only brilliant for the bees, it helps to suppress weeds, but also it adds manure to your soil. So it's a form of green manure and it's a great way to get some energy back into the soil and again. And is phacelia something that it comes back every year or does it, ha- is it, does it has it to be kind of re- replanted from seed every year? It seed. Okay. So it's what we call a hardy annual. So it, it's an annual, it lasts for the one year. It flowers for literally months and months and months. And in, in bloom, when the bloom gardens are put back to nature, the OPW, so so bloom would have been on last weekend. Yes. The gardens would be dismantled at the moment and, mm. be, and the OPW till the soil where the bloom exhibitors were and they sow it with phacelia every year. So they sow it, that's what triggered it in my mind. They do it at this time of year normally every year. I don't know what they're doing this year. Benefit maybe from Facilia again, but yeah, uh, two years over. Yeah. It gives the soil a time to kind of replenish after all the footfall and, and it adds that energy back into the soil. And, um, you know, so Facilia is a great plant and it's it's relatively inexpensive to buy. It covers a big area and it's self-seed and it'll be available in your local garden centre at the moment. And generally dear to the sowing of seeds. So yeah, I had a look through the, the, seed, the seed racks in the What in have the we centre. got now? So I've picked plants... Um, um, and again, you know, I think I mentioned this last week that the sowing of seed is generally associated with springtime. But there's so many. You've got the perfect conditions at the moment with the moisture, with the temperatures. So plants like forget-me-nots, which are Beautiful. absolutely fabulous. Yeah. They flower. You sow the seeds now and they flower next spring. Wallflowers, the old traditional wallflowers, which are absolutely fabulous. Many of these will actually flower in the autumn or even over the winter. But particularly next spring, they give a fantastic show of colour. Salvia, this is the perennial salvia. It's a lovely variety called Euphoria mm-hmm. and it's kind of a blue and lilac colour. Um, it's a short variety but brilliant for the bees again. It's a perennial plant that'll come back year after year. If you want some scent and colour now or in the next seven day, in seven weeks I should say then night scented stock can be Beautiful. sown at this time of year. So seven weeks from now August you'll have that with fabulous scent and the foxgloves are in flower at the moment and the lupins and the delphiniums they're all sown at this time of year to flower next year. So again if you want to get yourself some 
plants for next year have a bit of fun sowing seeds and many of those can be sown directly out into the garden. That was, so I was just about to ask that question. Do we need I to that. potting them up or, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, if for, for those quick fixers like myself, can we just you can pop, s- pop them in and see how we go? Absolutely. You can sow them directly into the garden soil. So rake off a little bit of... of, of um, soil, sow the seeds nice and lightly um, keep an eye on them with the slugs uh, would be important but um, there, or you can sow them in trays as well. Speaking about slugs, the nematodes are in. Yes, we've. I, I saw a question at half seven this morning about nematodes. Did they come in yet? Yeah. And so the can we use them on potatoes? Yeah, so the nematodes are available so just to remind people, so the nematodes are those natural organic predators that you add to a watering can and you apply to your potatoes or your carrots or your cabbage or your lawns, particularly for listeners that have had problems with the leather jackets in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very, very effective at controlling um, soil-borne pests in particular um, and very effective, very safe. So it's a non-chemical treatment. Many of the growers are actually using them now. Keeling's Fruit Farm, for example, use the nematodes um, when they're growing the strawberries. Um, so they're available at the moment. So they come in a range of different types. So there's one specifically for lawns that controls the leather jacket and that's where you get those yellow patches in the lawn. Yeah. Uh, very distinctive. Uh, your birds often feed on it and particularly with the rain now, it's an ideal time to get the nematodes on. So you simply just mix them with water, apply them to your lawn and they start to hunt out the leather jackets and kill them off. You've also got a, a nematode for slugs and snails and they'll be knocking about with the cooler temperatures. So they work, you simply apply it, say if you've got hostas in your garden yes. or your bedding plants or whatever, you simply mix the, mix the nematodes up, apply them onto the plants and they hunt out the slugs and snails and devour them and get rid of them. And there's also one for caterpillars. Are there? So there are. <laughs> So there you are. Every day is a school day, dear to Kelly. So, yeah, we, we, we generally associate them with the leather jackets, but there are nematodes available for slugs and snails. And they're available at the moment. And also for, uh, what did I mention? Caterpillars. Caterpillars. So some people have, for example, gooseberry sawfly is very common at the moment. Yeah. There is an organic nematode. Effect. And again, all you do is apply it onto the... Uh, Gooseberry plant, plant it? itself, yeah, and it hunts it out. And many of the nematodes will actually control other garden pests like ants, which I don't consider a pest, but but some people dislike them. Um, so they do work on other vine weevils as well, for example. So they tend to hunt out uh, garden uh, grubs, as it were. And and can you physically see these nematodes? No, they're microscopic. There's actually that's what I that's what I find extraordinary. Well, here's an even more extraordinary fact: there's fifty million nematodes in one packet. Okay, so it's strength in numbers. Is that the way they operate? <laughs> yeah, and you see, they, they, occur, they occur naturally in the soil. They're there anyway. Right. But they're not in sufficient numbers to work as a predator and, and, and to control slugs and snails or, or leather jackets. So um, the, the laboratories mm. basically produce them in vast numbers. numbers. They'll put them into a packet, you mix them in your washing can, you put them on, and because of the sheer numbers of them, that's how they work so effectively. Um, but they're totally organic, they're safe for plants, they're safe for children, they're safe for the birds, they're safe for the environment because they're a natural occurring organism in the soil. Right. Okay. So you're, it's nothing harmful. And that's why the many of the growers have gone away from the chemical treatments and they're using nematodes now. Even the guys that are growing shrubs are using the nematodes now under, under tunnels and glass houses. Where they have that, the environment is there all as in the, 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 the climactic temperatures. temperatures temperatures yes. there, they can add moisture um, and so on. And so they work at this time of year when you've got moisture and you've got warm temperatures. They're very, very effective. Now, when you purchase them, 
you need to, we keep them in, the, yeah, they have to be kept in a fridge. So they're kept in the fridge in the garden centre and you bring them home and try to use them within a couple of days. Okay. If you don't you, you use die, them, well, well, you keep them in your fridge. Okay. Sit them beside the yoghurt. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with the yogurt. No, no. <laughs> or have they so, a colour? No, like, no, well, they're kind of a, when you add them to the water, they have a milky type right. of colour. Okay. It's like Don't milk, confuse like, them with the yogurt. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they're available. Just to let people know they're available in our garden centre in Turlock, and um, we have them for the next couple of weeks now. So they're there to control caterpillars, slugs, and snails, and also leather jackets in your garden soil. So it's a week really for um, sowing of seeds, sowing of lawn wildflower seed in particular it's not too late to plant vegetables from seed so all our radishes beetroot carrots parsnips kale winter cabbages all of those can still be sown from seed it's only early june and uh, so don't be worried about you know continue to sow seeds of plants particularly with this sort of weather it's absolutely ideal we have vegetable plants available as well like carrots and beans and uh, lettuce plants as well so you can do a little bit of both so you know it's very much still in in the planting season and with a bit of rainfall it'll be good planting soil conditions will be ideal for planting some shrubs or trees or if people want to put in hedging that type of thing the weather is will be very conducive for that now fantastic okay okay i'm gonna start with uh, not so much a question but a thank you from lynn um who very i know nice. had made contact uh, i think via uh, the radio here uh, and just wanted to pass on our thanks uh, to you and to staff for resolving the issue with the large veggie cover happy uh, with uh, the way it has all worked out and I just wanted to extend her thanks so thanks for that Lynn always nice to read those ones out Uh, we've talked about the nematodes in some depth and we're going to look at a suitable tree please for a small garden uh, fairly bleak area and facing west something that will bloom for a long period if possible (laughs) what a challenging question oh yeah I mean you don't want much so look if it's it's exposed you're, you're, you're limited in terms of your choice so you've got plants like white beam which is probably one of the best so white beam it's in the mountain ash family it's got lovely silver foliage from spring summer and autumn it's got flowers in the springtime in april and it's got lovely red berries in the autumn and it tolerates great plant for seaside areas tolerates the wind really well critagus paul scarlet is another good one mountain ash in general tend to be hardy and anything in the sycamore family so there are varieties like um, acer brilliantissimum which has got lovely leaf color they, they're quite good as well. So anything in the Sycamore family in a dwarf variety, white beam, mountain ash um, and Critagus Paul Scarlet. Okay, great. Good time to plant as well. Perfect. Uh, now, Margaret has sent us in a photograph. Uh, it's a red robin in it a is. sorry looking state, it which sure she is. says herself. Uh, she's pruned it and fed it. Leaves keep falling off. Can she do anything more or should she just pull it up? And also she's wondering, what can Chelsea Chop be used on and how much do I take off a two foot flock? Ah, interesting. So the Chelsea Chop is used on perennial plants. Normally around the times of Chelsea, you can still do it at this time of year, mm. but you'd really want to do it this week. Um, the rule of thumb is you remove one third. So one third of the flock. So if it's two feet high, whatever one third of that is, so six or eight, six inches, say, off the top of it, and just shear it off with a secateurs or a clippers. You can also do it on sedums, asters, rudbeckia, anything that's kind of tall and leggy and you want to keep it shorter, bushier and more colourful. But do it this week and give it a feed at the same time. In relation to the red robin, I don't think... Um, 
Should we pull Margaret it up? Has, no, 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 no. The plant is perfectly fine. I don't think you've cut it back hard enough, to be quite honest. And there seems to be a conifer, a lilandii, or something quite close to yes. it. So I'd say it's quite dry in that area as well. So I would take another two feet off the top of the plant and give it uh, a really good soaking. And the listener has already fed the plant, so maybe feed it again in th- two or three weeks' time. But the plant is perfectly fine. It's just got a little bit bare and, and it's leggy. hungry. Hungry. It's it's in competition, obviously, with the conifer overhanging it there, and there's some shrubs around the base of it as well. So another take at least two feet off the top, which you can do it at this time of year and refeed it again in a month's time. And maybe just leave the hose, even with a bit of rain, leave the hose on it for maybe, you know, half an hour just to... A good drenching. A good soaking. Right, on the soil. On the soil. Okay. Water the soil, not the plant. Now, uh, Margaret, Margaret is also wondering about dishwater. Is it any use for white fly on roses? Well, dishwater has sudsy, it's got soap in it, and soap will wash green fly and white fly off your plants and it tends to take the the um, kind of outer coating off the aphid as well so yes certainly and we're being encouraged to recycle water at the moment by we the are. irish yeah. water board so so dishwater dishwater a okay fringe on the roses now we've got a couple of pictures of saxifraga here sent in uh, from do. Catherine who's in Newport wondering if we should could get a bit of advice she's got two and um, they've both suddenly become very brown one is worse than the other they've been fed but she's unsure if she should remove the brown parts or if they'll recover on their own right well I would bet my b- bottom dollar that these guys have a little bit of vine weevil damage so if Catherine can actually she should remove the, the brown wood or the browned areas because they're dead anyway right. and I think you'll find some vine weevil in underneath which are a small white maggot and um, that were eating the roots of, of um, the saxifraga and um, so that's what's there so you can use the nematodes to control them if you wish or you can use um, something like resolve a bug control as well so they're a soil borne pest the tack Saxifraga, and this is atypical of the damage. So they're eating the roots of the plant. Okay, so... Oh, so do so something with them, yeah, because they'd lead the rest of them. Of now, the green portions will be fine and they'll grow yeah. back. If you get rid of the grubs, you get rid of the problem. Right, so one That's of them, all, yeah, one of them one is, is particularly bad the other. The other. Yeah, 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 yeah. And those vine weevil will, will attack plants like sedums or heucheras or hostas often, and I see a hosta actually yeah. quite close to the plant there in the photograph as well, so no harm to treat them. Okay, great. Now, is there some, there's something eating my cabbage plants? It's not slugs as I've pellets down, says Vincent. Okay. Any idea of what it might be? Could be a couple of things. Okay. Could be pigeons. It could be caterpillars. Caterpillars at this time of year will, will eat. Um, now, they will be visible, uh, but pigeons and um, caterpillars and slugs and snails are, are generally the... Now, you can also get flea beetle, which is, creates more kind of pinholes in the cabbage leaves. Um, small bit of damage is nothing to worry about. Again, if there are caterpillars, you can use the nematode to control that in an organic way um, and continue to put the slug pellets down little and often because with this wet weather, there are, they are going to be drawn to the vegetable crops in general. Um, so it sounds to me like either caterpillars or a little bit of um, pigeon. Pigeons will, will take cabbages early in the season. They tend to rip the leaves, or early in the morning, I okay. should say, and rip the, the leaves and kind of tear them. Okay, brilliant. Now, uh, we have a text in from John who tells us he is 80 years old and he's gardening for 60 years. Oh, Good man, John. <laughs> so he's wondering, Porrick, is it getting too late to plant seeds and potatoes as the best of the growth is over and the vegetables and potatoes won't grow as big as sowed in March and April? 
So Oh, look, at this loads of time, John, to, to uh, continue to, to grow vegetables. As I said at the top of the programme, you can still sow seeds now. The, the soil conditions and weather conditions and temperatures are absolutely perfect. So I would be sowing kale, Swiss chard, beetroots, radishes, carrots can be still sown, um, any of the winter cabbage, lettuce. There's a load of, of vegetables you can sow from seed or from plants that are available in your local garden centre as well. So we can continue to plant normally up till about the end of August, early September. And at that time of year in July, actually, we'll have the Christmas potatoes in. So you can plant them at that time of year, potatoes for Christmas. Okay, there's a great interest in potatoes this yeah. year, I think. There is, yeah. Uh, I yeah, suppose it's probably the old, the, the restrictions and the lockdown. Uh, now, we've got a couple of questions uh, in relation to rhododendrons. Right. Uh, so first of all, Maureen has sent us in a photograph of uh, a rhododendron with only one flower and it's gone very woody. She's wondering, should she prune it and feed it after the flower has gone? And we've got a great picture of it here. We so do. It's, it's growing in a long, a long with an awful lot of other things Maureen in terms of there's a conifer beside it there's weeds at the base of it it looks like some other shrubs um, in, in around it as well so it's a very confined and, and competing with other plants for space a good pruning back would be a good idea as soon as the flower goes and feed it with a granulated fertiliser an ericaceous feed to, um, to, to, to boost it on rhododendrons flower how well they flower this spring or summer depends on how well they grew last year. Right. So how well it grows this summer will determine how well it's going to flower next year. Yeah. If that makes sense. So plenty of regular feeding, normally feeding once a month, but it is very kind of, um, it, it's kind of squashed in there. There's a lot of growth in around the base of it. Um, in terms of other plants and other weeds and that's competing naturally with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I just happened to notice this morning driving over, um, I'm, tra- I'm going kind of near Bogland and uh, one area of bog was absolutely bursting with the pink flowers of the rhododendron. Rhododendron ponticum, the wild yeah, rhododendron. Yeah, the wild rhododendron. Because, yeah, yeah. uh, I mean, out in the wild it is an invasive species, oh, it isn't is, it? Oh, it is, and it smothers. That's the trouble with it. But rhododendron ponticum propagates by seed. It propagates by layering. So if a stem falls on the ground, it'll actually propagate. Or any piece of the plant, generally, if it, if it breaks and, and, and uh, gets into the soil, it propagates as well. So it's one of these very invasive spreading and, and tends to compete and and um, eliminate all other vegetation mm. around it. Yeah, I mean it looked very pretty oh, it was out lovely. near Ballymore and uh, it is, you know, but but I suppose that that's fine for the passing motorist but yeah. uh, it can be really problematic it for can, people. It can, yeah, and if it gets into forestry in particular it, it, it'll mm. compete with, so it can be, it is, it is a weed. But, it is but, a weed. but it's a different, so that's a different one than we see in gardens for example. Yeah, well, rhododendron Ponticum is the wild, it's a species variety of, of um, rhododendron and um, the varieties that we grow in our gardens like Cunningham's White and Scarlet Wonder and those, they're they're more refined okay. and better behaved. <laughs> better behaved. Yeah. Okay, on those ones, uh, for another one, when is the best time to trim rhododendron and camellia and what should we feed at them? So we, we prune all, all the rhododendrons and camellias are classed as spring flowering plants, so anything that flowers from January to June is a spring flowering plant and they're pruned immediately the flower fades, so as soon as the flower goes over, you trim them back, you feed them. And as I said, how well they grow this summer now, from now on, determines the flowering next year. So feed them once a week, with a, or once a month, I should say, with an ericaceous feed. And both rhododendrons and camellias dislike drying out. They're woodland plants. So, that, yeah, so if it, it does get kind of dry in the summer, 
put on your recycled water. Okay. (laughs) And finally, on the rhododendron front this morning, uh, on this side, we have uh, somebody on the WhatsApp looking for a rhododendron, two kinds, uh, that will grow about six to eight foot uh, with high flowers, or high with flowers, and also a one that will be good for the front of a border. Okay, so for the front of a border, you're looking for varieties that are going to stay low and compact. So there's a lovely red variety called Scarlet Wonder, which is beautiful orangey red flowers. There's another variety called Baden Baden, which is a deeper red flowering and both those will only grow to about two feet in height they'll spread up to about two feet as well um, and they're really really beautiful um, another variety called blue tit which is which is a blue flowering rhododendron but, but very short and very compact and shamrock is a yellow flowering rhododendron oh bright yellow butter f- yellow flowers called shamrock um, which again is very small perfect for the front front of a border so Baden Baden Scarlet Wonder blue tit or shamrock are four different excellent dwarf varieties something taller you've got varieties like Cunningham's White which is a beautiful white variety again 7-8 feet in, in height and really really nice so there's lots of really good I mean there's thousands of different varieties of rhododendron available okay. all different sizes different sizes yeah. for, for whatever a, area you want there's a whole range co- uh, called uh, uh, named after the seven dwarfs so dopey and whatever whatever <laughs> there's a whole range of them they're called yakshimani okay they're called what they're, they're called they're a Japanese uh, variety of rhododendron called yakshimanis but they're they're named to make it easy for us As corner to, uh, gardeners they're named after the seven dwarfs that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> I think I so want to plant seven my dwarves. seven dwarf yeah, rhododendrons yeah, that's fantastic and, and, uh, sleepy and dopey and go. sneezy there and yeah, yeah probably yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And anyway we'll, and they're all different colours and different colours yeah, and they're, they're when I say dwarf they grow to about maybe a metre in height you know yeah. two feet three feet so they're kind of small compact varieties right more but really really not very colourful more bush like than tree like exactly super duper right uh, we'll move on to a camellia japonica plant it's inside since Mother's Day yeah. uh, we're in Belmullet so we're wondering can we set it outside because they live near the in sea the sea yeah so they're going to need a sh- like camellias will grow in seaside areas um, but because the fact that they're evergreen you need a sheltered spot for them so they will tolerate shade. You can actually grow camellias as a wall plant as well, against a wall, like a climber. So you can, if you've got oh, a yeah. sheltered wall, that's probably the place to put it. So plant it at the base of the wall with plenty of vericaceous compost. Put a couple of wires on the wall and train it onto the wall and it'll form, it'll grow perfectly like a climber on the actual wall itself. Okay, great. Uh, now, I bought a beautiful orange colour bush last year, colour rose bush, I think it is, uh, last year. And I have it in a pot, but this year the roses are pink. What happened? Oh, well, there are varieties like Piccadilly that change colour. So they, they start kind of a maybe a, a, an, an orangish colour yeah. and open to a pink. So Piccadilly will change colour or Troika is another one that will actually change colour. Arthur Bell starts a really deep red and then goes to a, a, a bright yellow colour. So roses, as the flower opens, change colour. So it may be. It might be just yeah, one of those that they... Rachel is another variety that does that as well. It okay. starts a kind of a rich orange and opens to a pink colour as well. So the colour in in, uh, in roses changes as the, the, the flower matures. Yeah. As it gets... I suppose if you had the name of the actual rose, it might be something we could could be looked up on. Now, we've got um, a picture here of, I think, is it some uh, fruit from a pear pear. tree? Yeah. Yeah. So they've all fallen on the ground under the tree, wondering would it be due to the recent windy weather or a sign that the tree or soil is lacking nutrients? Any insight? Much appreciated. You you normally get, I I mention it every year, there's a, a, a phenomenon in 
fruiting, all fruiting plants called the June drop, mm-hmm. where fruits are aborted by the tree. Now, pears will do this and apples will do this as well. But looking at the pictures, the the uh, pears are, are perfectly formed. And I would I would suggest it was down to the, the recent windy weather. A little bit of both. You'll have a certain amount of June drop as well. But normally uh, in June, you lose about maybe 30 or 40 percent of the fruitlets. And that's perfectly normal. The tree is just aborting any excessive fruit. Um, but this looks more like wind damage that we had two weeks ago. And um, you're obviously not going to get anything this year, but the tree will be perfectly fine next year. Okay. Again, you can feed it. Feed it now with a high potash feed. So something like rose feed is beneficial for all fruiting plants. Now I've grown herbs from seed and they're ready right. for transplanting to bigger pots. Uh, is it one seedling uh, say parsley per pot or multiple seedlings in a larger pot asks John. If John has lots of seedlings go for a multiple. <laughs> so you can do both to be quite honest. How much but, would you space them out I suppose? Well, I, What you could do is just take the seedlings as a little cluster so there could be maybe four or five seedlings together. Count that as one plant and transplant it into the pot. So if there's plenty of seeds then definitely and parsley generally when it germinates you've got lots and lots of seeds. So take a little cluster John of maybe three to four seedlings together and literally count it as one plant and stick it into the pot and it'll do really well. Now uh, we planted on the WhatsApp we planted and begonia bulbs straight into the ground about four weeks ago. There's very little growth showing. Should we feed them with plant food? They get morning sunshine, afternoon shade and they've got good drainage. Yeah, now ideally ideally begonias are better off started indoors in pots or containers or trays. Having said that, they will grow if you plant them directly out into the garden soil. So I had a few actually that were left over at the garden centre and I put them into a seed tray but I sat them outside and they've sprouted now after three or four weeks. So your begonias will grow. It has been quite dry. The soil has been quite dry. Um, so washing would have been important over the last three to four weeks. So maybe just persist with them. There's no point in feeding them. Wait for them to actually start to produce the new shoots. And they should do that over the next two to three weeks. But for next year, if you're planting up begonias, start them off earlier indoors in a in, on a windowsill in a pot get them good and strong and then plant them out directly into the garden soil. You'll just get them into flower so much earlier. Okay. You'll gain about a month by, by starting them off um, inside. inside. Yeah. Uh, now, I have a weeping willow in full bloom about two years now. Would it be possible to move it to a different location in the garden or should I wait until the leaves have fallen in the autumn? Yes, you should. Don't move it now or it, it, will, it will definitely set it back. So I'll leave it until... Um, how long is it in the ground? It's only two, two years. Two years, yeah. yeah. So it's not too bad. But to be 100% sure, lift, uh, transplant it in November when the leaves drop. Now, willows transplant, no problem whatsoever. It'll be easy to do it at that time of year. So if you can at all, leave it where it is. Uh, keep it well watered. Willows like plenty of moisture and um, it'll be perfectly fine in November then to transplant it. Okay, and I suppose this is in a similar vein. We had a tree in a pot. It was going, I was going to put it in the ground but found it had rooted a bit. I dug it up and moved it to another area. Now it seems to be losing its leaves. Do you think it's dying? Well, you see, so when you when Probably you move moved plants, at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, they're actively growing at the moment and if you interfere with them. Now generally plants in pots, but this one obviously had rooted out of the pot, uh, but generally plants in pots, you can transplant them. But if you're disturbed, the root, you're obviously disturbing the plant itself and you're giving it a check to growth. Keep it well watered, keep it fed, it should come back 
into leaf again and, and um, leaf up for you. I can't imagine you did that much damage to the um, to the roots. To the, roots. the fact that it was in a pot. So I'll keep watering, keep feeding it, and, and it'll be fine. But in terms of transplanting plants, if you're physically digging a plant up from one area, moving it to another, that's done in the winter months. Okay, and we've got to go to a break. But before we do that, can what can I spray on Russian vine to get rid of it? It's spreading too far. Good old Russian vine. When is a weed? When is a plant a weed? So Russian vine, we often call it mile a minute vine because it literally grows <laughs> a mile a minute. I mean, this thing will put on 20 feet of growth per year. Really? Oh, it's a super vigorous uh, climbing. Great bee plant. Bees abs- absolutely love it. But in the wrong location, it can become a bit of a pest right. and it can spread everywhere. So that's Russian vine. Yes, you can use um, something like Weed Free 360 to control it. As long as you just spray it onto the foliage of the uh, Russian vine and don't get it onto any other plant that'll kill it off um, or alternatively you can kind of cut it to ground level and then as it regrows then apply the, the herbicide and that'll control it as well and obviously the top section will die anyway so you can if you can get at the root and cut it to soil level a bit like ivy then you'll eliminate it as well Great stuff. Uh, right, Park, um, we're going to look at a question about sowing evergreen trees of a small garden. I, I never know what small means yeah, exactly, small but anyway, uh, small in the west of Ireland can be yeah. quite large in other areas. Um, and we'd like to throw, sow three evergreen trees. What would you recommend uh, to grow about 20 feet? Okay, well, it must be too small of a garden no. if you can accommodate a 20 foot tree. So, one that springs to mind is the lovely native, what's the native Irish tree that is evergreen? There's one a good pub question, wouldn't we? <laughs> it is a good pub question and I would have to pass it to one of yeah, my uh, yeah. teammates if so I was asked that question. So, well, a tree that comes to mind is, is a st- the strawberry tree, Arbutus unido, which grows wild in uh, parts of uh, Killarney. Killarney, yeah. It's a Mediterranean plant, but but it's native. We, we class it as a native Irish tree as well. Um, so it's evergreen. It flowers, lovely white flowers. Red fruit, which gets its name from the strawberry tree, which it produces in August, September. The flowers and the fruit are on the tree at the same time of year. And it's got beautiful, glossy green foliage, very like a, for, a forest flame, but it's a, it's a rich green colour. And the bark produces a lovely colour, uh, kind of mahogany, grey colours in the bark. So you've got the bark colour, you've got the leaf colour. Inside the Botanic Gardens, uh, they've got maybe five or six varieties of uh, Arbutus unido, the strawberry tree, and they're absolutely gorgeous. gorgeous. Right. Lovely tree. Doesn't get too big, 20 feet sort of thing, but you've got the flower, you've got the fruit, you've got the leaf colour, and you've got the stem colour so it, it actually gets better and better as it gets older so so the strawberry for, tree for me would be really nice maybe a variety of eucalyptus as well which is evergreen would be nice as well um, there's one called nymphophila which is a, a Japanese variety which doesn't get too tall and that would be evergreen as well and maybe a nice evergreen oak Okay. Would be nice as well, yeah. Yeah. There'd be three nice evergreen. Wouldn't trees. be growing too big. The and old the oak. oak is very slow. The evergreen oak is relatively slow, and you know, uh, it'll take many, many years for it to get to twenty feet. Okay, and can you kind of cut you them back a little them. bit? You can cut them back if yeah. you want. Yeah, and shape them. Definitely. Right. Yeah, you can indeed. Yeah. So there'd be there'd be three nice, different varieties. Some of the conifers as well. You could grow, you know, maybe an Irish yew, 
tree, which again mm. is a native Irish tree. Okay, I was going to say you when you said that, but I said I, I better not. I better not be chancing my arm and displaying my ignorance too much. Um, now we're mm. going to move from outdoors indoors briefly. Poor Jane has sent us a, a picture. Uh, this might have actually come in last week, but we didn't get a chance to address it. So um, this is a look, great looking plant to me. It's an in the hallway by the looks of things. It's going bare though. She says that at the bottom there are three stems. If she cuts one of them back near the bottom, would it fill out? So tell us what have we got here? So this is a plant called variegated chevalieri or variegated umbrella plant. So the leaves on it create like nearly a little umbrella. Uh, in this. So they've got their kind of five-fingered or six-fingered leaves. Very easy plant to grow. It's doing absolutely brilliant in the... In the I'd so be very proud uh, of that if I had absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's nearly touching the ceiling in the photograph. And uh, so it's doing really well. It's right at a, a light well, at a window. So it's... And because of the variegated leaf, Jane has it in the perfect location. Now, this is t- very typical of houseplants. As the young growth as it continues to grow, it tends to sacrifice the, the older leaves at the base and they tend to get woody and and old because they are old uh, for the, you know, to, to kind of make way for the new growth. So Janus red rose, I would actually prune all of the plant, the top of the plant back. So I would remove at least 18 inches of all the stems and that will help to thicken the plant then further down. So by pruning it back, um, and, and rather than just pruning one stem back, I would prune them all because it's nearly touching the ceiling now. So if Jane brought it back to maybe about six feet in total, that'll help to to, re, to encourage new growth. Mm. And the other thing I would do is rather than repotting it, I would just replace the top six or eight inches of soil of compost. So take off the old compost at the top and add in some fresh compost with some slow-release fertiliser as well. Because looking at the plant in the pot, um, it's probably in it quite a while and it'll be difficult now to repot into a bigger pot so the easiest thing is just to replace kind of six or eight inches of the old compost on the top okay. so add some slow release fertilizer but it's a really easy plant to grow it's in great condition actually yeah no, it's not does it's it not take problem. long to get that big oh it, it, it depends what height you you can buy them kind of six foot anyway to start right. with but so it depends but to me it looks like a plant that's been there for three or four years okay. wow. at least that's it's very very longer. impressive depends what size yeah. jane bought it at but it's doing really well now, I planted nasturtiums a month ago. A few are growing, wondering will the rest of them grow? And I also have a hydrangea with the tips growing going brown. What well, should I do? a lot of hydrangeas are showing that kind of uh, browning, um, you know, A, that got licked with the frost yeah. three weeks ago and the wind didn't do them any favours no. again. So there's a lot of brown marks on hydrangeas. So that's perfectly fine. Just give them a feed and they'll actually respond to this wet weather now really well and come back into growth so don't worry about them give them a feed the nasturtiums a month ago I mean they should germinate within two weeks if you're sowing nasturtium seeds my advice and again any seeds that were sown out of doors remember that the conditions were extremely dry for them so unless you were keeping them real, really well watered they found it difficult to germinate the easiest way to grow nasturtiums is in a pot in compost water the compost well cover it with cling film and don't touch them until they start to sprout and germinate right. and that should take 10 days right. so sit them on your windowsill let them sprout and then plant them out of doors okay. and now having said that with the, with the drop of rain that has come you could re-sow some seeds as well into and see. yeah Reso again outdoors if you wish and, and again they'll be up in two weeks Okay great now we've got a bit of a mystery plant here uh, on the WhatsApp Porik um, so uh, this listener scattered seeds in the garden last year and this year they've new plants they'd like to know what this plant is it's about three and a half foot tall now and it has lots of flower heads on it Yeah it looks like to me close up like a, a plant called Achillea 
which is a um, it's a it's a perennial plant that comes back year after year. Pink flowers. It comes in shades of yellow as as well. And um, yeah, something okay. a little bit different. Okay. And just somebody else has sent us in a plan for identification, but it's a really close up and it's kind of really difficult to see exactly what it might be. So it to me, it looks like it's got little asparagus spears growing On out the of, side it. of it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Can, if you could send us a kind of a, 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 a more complete picture a of picture the plant in the full, maybe. yeah, or wherever, yeah. Um, and then we might be able to have a l- better look at that. Okay. So here we go uh, with uh, some hedging pork that has been planted um, from, from by Nicola from uh, clippings uh, that she'd been given from a friend and she's wondering what's the best way to look after them after planting and will they grow a golden privet is the name and laurel hedging. Oh, there's and, a fair bit of hedging gone in there. Nicola's done a, a great job in, in so they're, 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 they're placed, they've been inserted into the soil. There's probably uh, about 50 yards of hedging that has been pushed in. The trouble at this time of year Nicola is that uh, you know taking clippings and inserting them into the soil the chance of those rooting before they dry up is is very likely or very unlikely, unlikely. I should say. Yeah, <laughs> unlikely okay. that they're going to root. The best time to take cuttings is in the winter, the autumn winter period. So any time from September, October onwards is a far better time because the, the, the clippings have a longer period to root. So I would expect a lot of those to fail, to be honest very few to actually root at this time of year. So it's the timing is really a little bit off and particularly if we get back into warm weather again, those cuttings will have dried up before they get a chance to root. So do it again maybe next next September, October. Take them pencil length, pencil thickness, strip off the leaves, a little bit of rooting powder and insert them into the soil and you'll have a far better chance of them rooting over the winter period. Okay, now we've got a picture of a mm. box hedge which has been uh, like this for a few years. It's kind of looking a bit bare on yeah. the top of it there. Um, wondering, will it come right or should it be replaced? Well, it's badly damaged. If you look at the photographs, mm. yeah, so the first section it has been badly damaged. And yellowing and browning in in boxwood um, at this time of year indicates box blight, which is a, a disease of, of boxwood. That first section has been badly damaged. I would replace that section. The second section is perfectly fine. Um, so replace it with some fresh boxwood and then treat the entire hedge with some top, top box, which is a specific feed and fungicide for boxwood and give it a feed as well. Okay, great. Um, a couple of questions on potatoes. Um, well, actually, somebody sowed potatoes using poultry pellets as fertiliser. Wondering, is that what is once enough with those fertiliser pellets? Well, potatoes should be fed once a month. So um, if you put down the, the chicken manure when you plant them, you should reapply that certainly now would be a good time with the, with the rain. So and, and earth them up, mm-hmm. add some soil around the base of the stem. So mould them up or mould them up, as we say, um, as well at this time of year. So you could add the fertiliser and then mould up the, add the soil to the base of the stems Great. and that'll keep them good. And somebody else wondering about uh, spraying for potato blight, at what stage would you be spraying? Yeah, is it's is it necessary? Early at the moment? Yeah, we have had no blight warnings just yet. Generally, you want more kind of humid, clammy weather. Um, so, you know, I, I'd hold off for another week or so. Keep an eye on Met Air and they're very good at in, at um, advising when potato. So when you get back to kind of wet, humid,
humid weather. That's the, the, the blight time. Okay. Um, we're, somebody here has made a good bit of nettle liquid feed. Oh, uh, yeah. They tell us it stinks. Uh, can you use it on all <laughs> veg, even tomatoes? Or should I apply only a tomato feed on tomatoes? Is once a week okay to give the nettle feed? Yeah, because so this is basically what you do is you crop nettles, you put them into water, they create a kind of a soup or a concentrate. It stinks like hell. You do the same with comfrey, comfrey leaves, and both can be used as a liquid fertiliser. Um, they do smell horrid, so they're better kept out into the veg garden for your potatoes and your cabbages and so on. Um, I would just use the tomato feed, to be honest, because most of the tomatoes you're going to be growing in your greenhouse and tunnelling, you don't want that heavy scent of, of nettle. Um, so keep, keep the tomato feed to the tomatoes and, and keep your nettle feed to your general veg. Okay. Do you have lettuce plants in the Turlock store? We do. Okay, great stuff. That's that answered. We do, and uh, parsnips and, car- and uh, carrots and things like that are all in plants. Okay. Broad beans, yeah. Great. Uh, sorry, now just we've covered grass already. Um, we've covered grass already. Um, best time to prune pyracantha. Well, normally, and as it comes in from Anne, so the time to, to prune, it, prune it is kind of uh, once the berries form. So they're, they're flowered, the berries are setting at the moment now. If there's any whippy growth, particularly at the top and the sides, you could trim that off now because they're not going to carry any berries anyway. But once the berries set, you can clearly see then the, the shoots that you can trim off and you can do that with a trimmer. So normally about the middle of July onwards is, is a good time to prune pyricanth par- back because once you take the the uh, stems off it, you're exposing the berries and it makes it, they, they stand out even better. So July is a really good time. Okay. Um, first time gardener, I've planted a strawberry plant that is coming on lovely and I'm getting some fruit from Great. it. Can I take roots from the plant and reroot more? Yeah, so they'll produce um, runners runners mm-hmm. as, as we go through the summer and they can simply be just inserted into a little bit of compost, they'll root cut them off and pot them up and you have lots and lots of from one you'll have many okay fantastic <laughs> good luck first time gardener uh, one or two more before we get to finish up um, so somebody is wondering about a good climber for an arch in an exposed windy area okay well um, so if it's if it's exposed um, okay you need something hardy like trailing ivies would tolerate a certain amount of wind um, the well, the Clematis montana would be actually quite a good one. So that's the spring flower in Montana. It sheds its leaf in winter, so that would be a natural protection for it as well. And it's quite a vigorous plant. Climbing roses too will tolerate a certain amount of wind. So Dublin Bay would be quite a vigorous one. Or there's a, quite a nice one called Albertine, which is a peachy coloured, vigorous climbing rose and it's quite good in windy areas as well. So Albertine, Dublin Bay, maybe the spring flowering Montana, Clematis as well would be good choices. Okay, and we're probably going to maybe end on this one. After picking my first growth of rhubarb six weeks ago, it never grew back healthy again. The leaves have rusty stains and the stalks grow, but are delicate. Help, please. Yeah, and and it's just been too dry for rhubarb. Rhubarb leads lots and lots of moisture. And um, so it's, it's actually been struggling. So it's one of those plants that does brilliantly in a wet summer and it struggles in a, in a, a dry period like we're having. So um, look, the, the, the rain that we've had this week is going to perk it up again. Give it a feed as well and it, it'll be fine. You might even get a second flush of rhubarb sticks from it. Okay. And, uh, it's a lovely plant. It's a lovely plant. So we'll end on this. Oh, it's uh, not a weed. Oh, it's yeah. a weed, our plant. We've just a photograph for identification. Yeah. Uh, it looks a bit exotic to me, Porek. Yeah, we so don't have is, a name to go with this. but This it's, is a plant called verbascum. 
for Bascom, beautiful kind of um, uh, hairy leaves. They're kind of a downy, hairy, kind of soft leaf and a brilliant yellow flower. You can see the flower spike coming mm. on it there. Um, no, they come in different colours. They come in peach colours, but predominantly yellows. So a plant called Verbascum, it'll be in flower in another two weeks. So they obviously must have sown it from seed or got a plant somewhere. Uh, but that's what it it's is. Per, it's fairly impressive looking, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. If you deadhead it on a regular basis, it'll keep flowering right through the summer as well. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there, I'm yeah. afraid. So uh, just out of time. Just remember, the nematodes are available. Brilliant weather, weather for putting them on. And it's great weather for sowing lots of plants from seeds, both flower, veg and, and, um, and vegetable plants. Fantastic. Okay, well, enjoy the garden and the gardening over the next week. We're back again next Saturday uh, just after uh, nine uh, with the garden show. I'll be there, though, from seven onwards. All going well. Have yourselves a great weekend. Standby Michael Neary is coming your way next with the very best in country right through until one o'clock this afternoon here on Midwest Radio and uh, local news on the way with John Morley. From me, Deirdre Kelly, for the moment, a very good morning to you.